Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, for this wonderful night, such a celebration of what you've already done and what you will do, we give you thanks and praise. And we ask now that as we attend to your word, you would make our hearts alive with truth and anxious, ready to do your will and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard all the amens. <laughs> what a wonderful night. It is great to be back with you in your new home. I haven't seen this yet. Uh, you're sort of a migratory group. Uh, but in each, each time you migrate, things grow. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm really thrilled to be here. Um, the words that came to mind as I looked forward to this night come from 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes, We ought always to give thanks to you as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And of course, that's the real measurement of congregational growth, not just numbers, but whether we're growing closer to the Lord and closer to each other. And I see those things happening uh, among you. I'm, I'm just, I couldn't be more excited. I, I want to welcome those who are guests uh, tonight. Thank you for joining us for this uh, celebration. There is only one body of Christ, and, uh, and we need reminders of that. And uh, by having guests here, that's one of God's ways to remind us of that remarkable truth. I'm going to ask you a strange question. It probably is more relevant uh, to you having had to move locations, uh, which is this. Have you ever been really lost? Uh, I wonder how many of you pulled out of your driveways on a Sunday morning and realized, no, we're going to the new place. Uh, have you ever really been lost? Now, it's, it's harder to get lost nowadays with the smartphones and GPS. So I want to take you back to an ancient time uh, when my college roommate and I got really lost. We didn't have a map. We were coming back from an area of Philadelphia to our college in New Jersey. And uh, we thought we knew the way. And we ended up in the middle of nowhere without a clue as to where we were. Uh, I want to be clear. We were sober. Let me just be <laughs> clear, clear that little question in your mind up. Uh, but that didn't help us at all. Um, finally, we saw lights on in a building. And, and sure enough, in the middle of nowhere, there was uh, a bar or a pub. So I waited in the car. My roommate went in to ask how to get back to uh, our college. He came back about a minute later with this very strange look on his face. And I said, well, what did they say? And Rich said, they just laughed at me. They said, you college boys, you figure it out. <laughs> we did eventually get back. Now, there's a deeper kind of lostness, not just being lost geographically, but being lost spiritually, lost emotionally, lost in this world. There was a song years ago by a group named Blind Faith. Uh, sung by a man named Steve Winwood. Also in the group was Eric Clapton, who's slightly more famous. Uh, and the line that was unforgettable is, I'm wasted, and I can't find my way home. And not just 
wasted from alcohol or drugs, but his life was wasted. And he was admitting, I, I just can't get home. It's interesting, it's around the time that Winwood himself uh, came to faith. I can't find my way home. I'm lost. What I want tonight for us is to have a heart for the lost, for eyes to see the lost. And I chose the reading about Zacchaeus for precisely that reason. I'm assuming it's in their book, in their worship books as well. No, yeah. It's not printed. Okay. Well, you know the story, uh, or you're about to hear it. Um, <laughs> Zacchaeus, the tax collector in Jer Jericho. Just a word about uh, tax collectors in those town in those times. I mean, I thought I knew a lot. I did a little more study. It's worse than it first appears. Uh, not only were you a tax collector working for the Roman Empire, taking taxes for your own people, but you were essentially extorting taxes from them. You, your goal was to get as much as you could. Why? Because to become the tax collector in a town, you bid against other potential tax collectors. And you had to tell them how much you thought you could raise. And of course, the Romans were happy to take the highest bid. And so there was nothing honest going on here. Uh, just pressure with the power of the Roman Empire behind you. Not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, he was worse. He was a chief tax collector, which is to say he was the boss with all the other tax collectors under him, driving them, pushing them to get in as much as would make that bid. And of course, anything they make over the bid, they get to keep. That was the deal. Let me put it this way. Zacchaeus is a lesson in how to become unpopular. <laughs> Because he was a Jew. He was, he was part of this, this people, and yet, in a sense, he dramatically betrayed them. He was lost. Lost relationally. It's unlikely that he had many friends, except perhaps the other tax collectors. But you know how much fun it is to work for a, a boss that's driving you too hard. His life goal? What could his life goal be but to make money? That's an insufficient goal. And spiritually, he would have been cut off from his people in every possible way. If you had to pick one person in Jericho who would be the least likely to become a believer in God, let alone a believer in Jesus, you would undoubtedly have picked Zacchaeus. But strangely enough, in the midst of his lostness, he was seeking. A few months ago, I had an Uber driver who told me his story uh, on the way to the airport. I, I asked for it, so don't blame him. But uh, he told me that as a child, he'd had, uh, even as a child, he had a drug, ad a drug habit. But the way he put it is he said, I was drug every week to church. <laughs> but as he became an adult, he had more serious problems. He was in a car crash three months in a coma, eight months hospitalized, everything possible wrong. After he recovered from that, he became an alcoholic. Uh, and in the midst of all that, as he was trying to raise children, one of his children said to him, essentially, Dad, why do you have to drink? And he felt this tremendous conviction to just stop. And he thought, I need help. He went to a, an alcohol 
all Alcoholic Anonymous meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And uh, it's basically just told his story as I'm telling it to you. Someone at the meeting said, do you have a church? And he said no, so they invited him. And he called out to Jesus for the first time in his life and committed his life to Christ there. But up until that season of life, if you'd looked at him, you would have definitely thought, this is not somebody who's going to come to faith. He was lost. Well, Zacchaeus is picked out by Jesus, which must have been not only confusing to his disciples, I mean, how often do you call up to people in trees, but, <laughs> but very difficult for the impact he might be trying to have in Jericho. This prophet has chosen the worst person to be in any conversation with. And beyond that, he invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. Now, we miss the impact of that because we don't have the understanding of hospitality that that culture has and is still uh, present in other cultures. That if you go into somebody's home, if you're at fellowship at table with them, they, for that moment, have temporarily become family. And Jesus asks... Essentially, can I be part of your family? Can I come to your home today? Well, you know the story. Zacchaeus welcomes him into the home, and then Zacchaeus' heart is changed. And toward the end of the scene, uh, he gives up his uh, belongings uh, dramatically. He moves from being stingy, money-grubbing, extortionist, to being somebody who's giving back the things he's taken and giving to the poor as well. He's fulfilling the Old Testament commands to make reparations. He's moved from very lost to very found. Well, how do we know that? I mean, you, the generosity is one sign. But Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In other words, here in front of you is somebody who was lost, but now is saved or now is found. If we belong to Jesus, we're part of that mission. We are called to the same mission Jesus had. And that's why I picked the story for tonight, because this is a good moment to remember our mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and he uses us in the process. Several tonight will be confirmed or received to be on mission. It's not just for your own spiritual edification. It's to join us as missionaries in a more intentional way. Uh, on mission in this part of the body of Christ, this particular Anglican tribe. Ben has already been ordained, but now he will be the rector to lead in the mission by teaching, sharing the sacraments, and, a, and being an example of mission himself. Together, our goal is to seek and to save the loss as we work with Jesus, as he directs us in the process. So three notes I want us to think about on how this mission is accomplished. First of all, Jesus goes ahead of us. Hold that thought. Jesus goes ahead of us. Secondly, hospitality is the key to the mission of Jesus. It always has been and always will be. And finally, people can be radically changed 
by Jesus' saving power. So first, Jesus is ahead of us. He reached out to Zacchaeus. He was aware somehow of, of Zacchaeus's search when no one else could have figured it out at all. He knew that God the Father was already at work in the heart of this tax collector. We talk about evangelism, the sharing of the good news of Jesus, but you need to understand that evangelism is always a follow-up act. God has always been working ahead of us in the hearts of people around us. Now, not everyone will respond, but Jesus does bring into our lives people in whose lives he's been working already. I met a woman recently, I'll call her Karen, precisely because that's not her real name. <laughs> Karen had absolutely no faith background going up. As the story began, she was a mother with three little children. She was a psychiatric social worker. Her husband was a professional as well. They moved to, uh, to his new job, to a new town. She got to know the next door neighbor who was a joyful and prayerful Christian. Someone who had faced tremendous adversity and difficulty in her life and yet still trusted the Lord. Karen said that even as she went to visit her neighbor from time to time, she would deride her neighbor's faith. She would put it down, telling her things like, God doesn't care about all those things you pray about, all the details of your life that you bring before him. I don't think there's a God like that. And then one day, Karen discovered that her husband had been regularly unfaithful to her, and her world completely fell apart. And she went across to this Christian neighborhood a neighbor and said, I want what you have. Her friend shared the gospel, and the Lord drew Karen, this former antagonist, into the kingdom of God. Now, it's a deeply encouraging story, but what I want us to hear is that God was working already. He set her up, put her in the right neighborhood, next to the right person, who didn't put her down even when she was being uh, teased, who was vocal about her faith in, in, in gentle ways. God was at work. God saw what was coming. God cared about Karen. The Lord knew his, her, her life was about to unravel. God is always ahead of us. It makes a big difference if you understand that when you're trying to reach out to somebody or care about somebody. You aren't carrying all the weight. You're just trying to follow in whatever the Lord's already doing. Secondly, remember the context of the story. Zacchaeus is home. Relationships are built through hospitality. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home, but it, it doesn't really matter. It can work either direction, but relationships get built in homes. In our culture and in every culture, hospitality is the key to mission. And yet we live in a culture where it's very easy to go a full year without being in any else, anyone else's home. It, about 20 years ago, they did a study of singles in America and discovered that m almost 50% of them had not been in anyone else's home in the course of a year. That was 20-something years ago. It's much worse now. I'm not going to just blame garage door openers. <laughs> Karen spent time in her neighbor's home and felt welcome 
when she hit a crisis. I spent countless hours as a guest in the apartment of the couple who brought me into a relationship with Christ. Hours upon hours of them welcoming me in, long before I was a Christian. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Probably a reference back to Abraham, who had an angel visiting him. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I think it's going to be one of the things that would mark the difference between Christians and non-Christians in this culture would be hospitality. But it takes sacrifice, it takes time, it takes some thinking ahead. The word for hospitality in the Greek, I won't pull too many Greek words on you, but is philoxenia. You know the word xenophobe, somebody's afraid of foreigners. Philo is a form of love, brotherly love, Philadelphia, remember? Philoxenia means the love of strangers. That's the word for hospitality. Now I, need to, I understand that you guys are migratory. But I want, to, I want to encourage you that each of you has a key to the church, whether you know it or not, because your front door is the primary entrance to the church if you want to reach unchurched people. I had a conversation with the vestry a few weeks ago. The parish wants to grow. What can be done to make, and I raised this question, what can be done to make a church more welcoming to newcomers? But the key question is, what are you going to do to increase hospitality among your members to reach those who are unchurched? And it's not a question of sharing the gospel with them the first night or anything like that. It's a question of blessing them, loving them, listening to them, getting to know them. And it's amazing how God will give you opportunities over time. Church growth for the next foreseeable future will be through front doors, not through church doors as we go ahead. So that's a challenge because in some ways we're consumers in worship like anything else. We go to the place, we expect it to be nice, we, uh, we hope we get welcomed, and, and, uh, and many of us grew up going to church, so that's, we're just looking for a church. The downside to that mindset, though, is we don't pre get prepared to be missionaries at all. We're just, we're happy. But that doesn't necessarily reach anybody else. So hospitality is the second thing. First thing is God goes ahead of us. Secondly is hospitality. And finally, understand that people can be radically changed by encountering Jesus. You remember Jesus back in Luke 15 tells the parable of a lost sheep. And as people of good shepherd, you should be caring specifically about lost sheep. This parable must be dear to your hearts. Do you remember what the shepherd in the story says after he's found the sheep? It says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. God rejoices when the lost get found. Zacchaeus went from lost to found, from tax collector to a generous disciple in an afternoon. Here's a note. This is from a commentary on, on this story. It's this. In ancient accounts of discipleship, a radical response with possessions was a certain sign of newly acquired devotion to the teacher. Here's somebody having a radical response with his possessions. God changed his heart. 
and Jesus changes people dramatically. I have a friend who went from being an atheist blogger, a blogger as an atheist with a big following, to a believer in Jesus in about a week. I'll tell you that story some other day. But keep your eyes open for people who are lost. They may have no openness to the gospel one day and be very open the next. That's why you build relationships. Tell you a story as I come to a close of a young woman who lost her mother at age two. And her father left her at that point to be raised by an elderly cousin who was very strict. This young woman grew up as an atheist, complete atheist, very cynical. But in college, she miraculously came to faith through a Christian there. Later, she became a governess to a widower's daughter, a daughter who was bedridden with rheumatic fever. The story continued. She later married the widower who had six other children. And the rest, as they say, is history. That young atheist who became a Christian in college was Maria von Trapp of this Sound of Music fame. I'm not sure we would have seen her as a potential Christian. Don't assume that anyone is beyond responding to the love of God after Jesus has been at work in them. Listen to Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means if God can reach us, he can reach anybody. So keep your eyes open. There are people like Zacchaeus all around you. They have dreams unfulfilled. They're searching after the wrong things. They're desperate for hope. They're lonely. Their human relationships are not enough. They're guilty for selfish decisions that they've made, although it's hard to admit it. And God is trying to open them up to believing in Jesus. Salvation is costly. How did Jesus save the lost? Similar verse in Mark 10. He says about himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We were kidnapped by sin, and we needed Jesus to pay the ransom, his life for ours. And he paid it. One final note. We celebrate Good Shepherd as a new self-governing parish tonight. And again, congratulations and celebration for all the faithfulness that that represents, for all the prayers, the service, the generosity that have marked your uh, journey so far. We will receive many of your members tonight with the laying on of hands and also install Ben officially as your rector tonight, although I suspect he's been acting like that ever since uh, last month. But as rector, he has both the responsibility and now the greater authority to lead this congregation. And you will be vowing to support him in that which means receiving his spiritual leadership, honoring him even on the days when you disagree with him, because that's part of your calling. Likewise, he will be promising to shepherd you as an under-shepherd of Jesus, the good shepherd. And that is no small calling. Together, you are all to be missionaries seeking lost sheep, 
and declaring that they can be saved by Jesus for their life here and for life everlasting. And so finally, I close with a charge to Ben. If you'll come around, Ben. This comes from the verses uh, we're going to hear in a moment in the letter of installation. I'm adapting it from 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. So Ben, I exhort you as an elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, none of us came to you without somebody bringing us good news. Show us how we can be a part of that process in the lives of others. Thank you for the example of Zacchaeus and his radical change. Thank you for the ways in which you have turned us from lost to found. Help us to have a heart for those not yet found. Especially pray for a blessing on Ben as he leads this congregation and on the congregation as they seek to follow after you, uh, listening to Ben's instruction. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.